Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. But we want to get into the Word this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 here in just uh, a little bit. You know, lately I've been so wrapped up in so many personal things that are going on. It wasn't until a conversation that we had in the office this past week made me realize, opened my eyes to the fact that football season is about upon us. College is going to be starting soon, and the pros have started their preseason, and nobody really cares about the preseason, but at least, you know, it, it's the sign of things to come, maybe, you know, that the real season is going to be here. Now, I know we have a lot of visitors here and a lot of new people, and for those uh, who don't know, um, I was born and, and raised in Wisconsin. I know. Uh, uh, welcome to America. No. Uh, yeah, even cheeseheads can get saved too, isn't that wonderful? And um, I say that because let me tell you something about Wisconsin. If you are born and raised in Wisconsin, you are born and bred to be a Green Bay Packers fan. I mean, there is no doubt about it. Everything is green and gold and cheesy, I, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> there in Wisconsin. Now, it hasn't always been easy to be a Packer fan in my lifetime. In the 70s and early, through the early 90s, the Packers weren't uh, very good. And then, you know, we went through this 30-year period where, you know, where we had two of the best quarterbacks uh, that have ever played the game and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, although there aren't a whole lot of Lombardi trophies to show for that. So that was kind of always painful to watch. They'd get so close and yet came so far, and now we're in the Jordan Love era, and who knows what's going to happen there. So, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs uh, with the Packers. You know, just, just for fun, every year, right at the start of football season, I always predicted that uh, the Packers were going to the Super Bowl. So I have proven that I am not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, because that sure has not happened a, a whole lot. But I remained a Packers fan through it all. And you probably think you would do the same with your favorite team as well. But not everybody sticks with their team through the lean years. And we call those people fair weather fans, right? So if their team isn't doing so hot, they decide, well, you know what? I'm going to go root for the team that's winning. I'm always going to go root for uh, the team that is winning. For some reason, they think that all of the time, all, their, their team should always be at the mountaintop you know, instead of the valley, they don't like to lose. And so when things are rough, they jump ship. When things get tough, they want to find a way out. They want, I'm out of here. I'm going to find greener pastures somewhere else. So they think. So now, you know, I'm not here to preach about football. Let's turn this into a spiritual application. When you look at the state of the world today, it would seem just by appearances, just, if you would just look at the appearance of the world, it would seem like the true church of Jesus Christ is floundering. Darkness seems to have a stranglehold on the whole world. The violence and, and, and perversion are just running rampant in this world. The enemies of God are becoming more bold, they're becoming more vocal, and they're becoming more violent as well. I mean, if you look at the state of the world from merely a human standpoint, it would appear that the church and the ways of God 
and the ways of righteousness are the losing team, especially if you look at the church in America, because in the past couple years, statistics have borne out that there are many, and it's the first time in the history of the nation, there are many more people not attending church than there are, and it used to be different, but now things have changed. And, and so we, we see the state of the world, we see what appears to be the church floundering, and, and this might cause the people of God to worry and fret. And it might be tempting for Christians just kind of to throw up their hands in the air and say, you know what, forget it. it, it you know, it's not worth it. Uh, you know, even worse, it might cause the people of God to become envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And so some Christians might think, you know, the ways of the world, they're winning. It's definitely more comfortable. It seems to be more prosperous. So I'm gonna live for the ways of the world. We could call that fair weather Christianity. We could call them fair weather Christians. You know, it refers to people who, you know, okay, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to stick with Christ, I'm not gonna stick with his church, I'm not gonna stick with the ways of God while things are rough, I'm not gonna suffer for his sake. I would rather side with the world so I can enjoy what the world has, I can enjoy its comfort, I can enjoy its ease. Now whatever form it takes, fair weather Christianity has no understanding of scripture, it has no understanding of the promises of God, they, they have no understanding of what's really happening in the world. Because not everything that we see with the naked eye is what's happening. There are many things happening behind the, sea, the scene. Because if you look at the world through the eyes of faith, you actually do see something completely different and you would not be a fair weather Christian. We wanna read this Psalm today because in this psalm, David shows us and he reminds us that, okay, with the naked eye, it always looks like the wicked are winning. It always looks like the wicked have their way and they have it all. But they're not. It doesn't matter what you see with the naked eye. It's not the truth. And so there's no reason to worry. There's no reason to fret. There's no reason to be, to be envious of what the wicked have, the unbelievers have. Rather, it's time to rejoice in the truths that God has given. Now is not the time to abandon ship. Now is not the time to kind of throw up your hands and give up. Have faith in God. I will trust in God, as we sang this morning. No matter what it looks like out there, I will trust in God. And David encourages us to do that this morning in Psalm 37. I'm gonna read verses one through 11, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these 11 verses. And this is what David was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. He says, do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers, for they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is right. Settle in the land and maintain your integrity. 
Then you will take delight in the Lord and he will answer your prayers. Commit your future to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. He will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your just cause. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait confidently for him. Do not fret over the apparent success of a sinner, a man who carries out wicked schemes. Do not be angry and frustrated. Do not fret. That only leads to trouble. Wicked men will be wiped out, but those who rely on the Lord are the ones who will possess the land. Evil men will soon disappear. You will stare at the spot where they once were, but they will be gone. But the oppressed will possess the land and enjoy great prosperity. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that you would open our eyes to see things the way they really are from your perspective. And knowing, Lord, that what we are going through is but a season in light of eternity. And may that encourage us to stand strong in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, from this passage, I find three exhortations that David gives us to remind us why we should not be fair-weather Christians. We should stick with Christ. We should stick with His righteousness no matter what turns the world might take, no matter what world events might look like. And, and so whatever might be happening in this world, may it not pull us away from a strong faith in God. And, and so what are the ex exhortations? Well, the first exhortation that I see David give is look ahead. Look ahead. Because if you get stuck on the perspective of merely looking at the here and now, right here, 21st century America, yeah, things look bleak. Things look hopeless. In the here and now, it would seem like we are the losing team, and that's what the enemies think. That's what the enemies of the cross think. They're the winning team. We're the losing team. But God, through David, reminds us that this present world and this present time is not the only thing that there is. This isn't the only time or season that there is. In, in reality, the world as it is right now, the present world and the present time is merely a small little blip in light of eternity because the world as it is will not last forever and we are encouraged to look at things the way that God sees things we are to take on this heavenly perspective and instead of looking merely at the here and now we are to look ahead to what God has promised in his word we are to look ahead to what God promises when Christ returns again, because at some future point, Christ is going to return. He is going to take his bride with him. He is going to judge the wicked of the world. So yes, the wicked seem to be winning right now from a human perspective. But in eternity, the wicked are the losers. Consider what David says in our passage in verses 1 and 2. He says, do not fret when wicked men seem to succeed. Do not envy evildoers, for they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. They're going to wither away. At the beginning of verse 9, he says the wicked men are going to be wiped out. At the beginning of verse 10, he says evil men will soon disappear. Yeah, it looks like the wicked are prospering right now, and the wicked think that they are prospering right now. They think they're controlling their own destinies. They think they have it all. They're living for self. They're living for pleasure. 
And so we as Christians, we look at that prosperity that they have, and we might be tempted to say, you know what, they're winning. It seems like fun, whatever it is that they're doing. So we might be tempted to say, eh, I'm going over to the winning side. But our verses say that the end result of the wicked is their destruction. Because even the prosperous wicked are going to face Christ one day. As one of the songs said, everyone's going to bow down to Christ, either willingly or unwillingly when they finally realize who he is. The prosperous wicked, they're going to face death. If they're outside of Christ, they're going to spend the rest of their eternity separated from God. And then all of their prosperity, all the stuff that they had is going to fade away and it's going to be forgotten over time. Sure, it seems like the wicked have it all right now. But David says, look ahead, look beyond the here and now. Look at what is going to be the end of all those wicked people doing all those evil things. And ask yourself, is that really something I want to desire? Is that really something that I'm, I ought to worry about? Is that something that I kind of want to fool around with, play, that I want to play with that fire? I mean, if you're truly saved, do you want to join in on what's going to be the losing team? Do you really want to jump over to the losing team, join in on what the losing side is, is doing for a small season? And let me ask you, if you're not saved, if you've never trusted in Christ, is it worth gaining the whole world and then losing your soul? Yes, sinners may seem to flourish for a time. Sinners may seem to get honor and glory for a time. But everything that they have is temporary. It's superficial. And it's going to end in their destruction. The Bible says in Job 20, verse 5, the elation of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts but a small moment. But if you look ahead to what's in store for believers in Jesus Christ, we see that we receive a grand inheritance which is greater than anything you can find on this earth. It says, you know, what uh, our, our uh, verse says in verse 11, our passage says in verse 11, the oppressed, those who are oppressed by the wicked, they're going to possess the land. They're the ones that are going to enjoy great prosperity. Not in the here and now, but later. The end of verse 9, those who rely on the Lord are the ones who will possess the land. When you look ahead, you find out that in Christ, no matter what it looks like right now, you always come out ahead when you're in Christ. Our prosperity isn't in the here and now. Our prosperity is future and eternal. Why would you want to play with the fire of the other team? we are able to look ahead. So by way of analogy, this is, I guess I have football on, on the brain now, but suppose that I had a book that told me the end result and the final score of every football game that is going to be played in the future before the games were actually played. What if I had a book that told me the future, that told me the scores of every game, and the book has never been wrong. So let's suppose that I look at this book and it tells me that in week one of the pro football season, the Packers are going to beat the Bears 
I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. You don't need a book to say that, right? But the Packers are going to beat the Bears 38 to 35. Now, suppose game day comes along and I'm watching the game and it's the beginning of the fourth quarter and the Packers are losing 35 to zero. But the book that tells the future that has never been wrong has told me that the Packers are actually gonna come back and win 38 to 35. Knowing this, how ridiculous would it be at that point in the game to just say, you know what, forget it, I'm gonna become a Bears fan. I can't even believe that those words came out of my mouth. I'm sorry, for a Packers fan, that's, that's near to cussing there, but suppose, you know, how ridiculous would it be? Because the book told me the Packers are going to win. Well, guess what? We not only have a book, we have the book that tells us the future, and it's always right. It's always right. It allows us to look ahead, and what we find is that the proper, prosperous wicked who seem to be winning right now actually end up losing. Yes, it seems like it's the fourth quarter. It seems like we are down 35 to nothing. But what the book that has never been wrong tells us is that the team that appears to be winning right now actually ends up losing everything. They are cut off, they are tossed aside, whereas God's team, his church, actually ends up on top. We end up winning so much more than we could ever lose on this earth. How utterly ridiculous it would be for us to worry, to fret, to be envious, or to jump ship. When you look ahead, you're able to see who wins, and it's Christ, no one else. And so we look ahead and see who's the winning side. Why would we be a fair-weather Christian when we're able to look ahead? But not only do we look ahead, secondly today, we look up. We need to look up. When we are going through trials and tribulations, you know, our tendency is to focus in on the problem. Our tendency is to focus on the problem, and the tendency maybe is to focus on self as well. And we see how big the problem is, and we see how inept we might think we are. And if we're just looking at these things down here, it seems that the other side is winning. But our focus is in the wrong place. David tells us, do not focus on the world. Do not focus on the wicked. Do not focus on circumstances. Don't focus on yourself. Focus in on the Lord. Look to the Lord. Don't preoccupy yourself with the world or, or you know, yourself and, and circumstances. Preoccupy yourself with the living God, the one that you can trust. And David talks about what happens when you, we look to God, when, when instead of looking at our circumstances, when, when we look to God, there are things that we learn to do. First, we learn to trust. We learn to, to, to trust. David tells us in verse three, Trust in the Lord and do what is right. Settle in the land and maintain your integrity. When we are told to trust in the Lord, it means that we exclusively depend on him. We, 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 we don't trust in anyone else. We don't depend on anyone else. We trust in God for our well-being. We trust in God for our security. And this is in contrast to the prosperous wicked who put their confidence in their fame and their fortune and you know, they do what they can to maintain their way of life down here. The wicked look at the world, 
But the child of God looks up to God and trusts in him. Now, the, the Bible gives us many warnings about trusting in the world, looking to the world, focusing in on the world and the things of the world. For example, in 1 Timothy 6, 17, uh, Paul tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches, which, is, which are uncertain, but on God. Set their hope on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Because the things of the world are temporary. They're finite. The things of the world are not going to last forever. God alone is trustworthy because he will not fail us, as we have sung this morning. He will not forsake us. David says in another psalm, in, in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we depend on the Lord our God. And so our, in our passage, David says, trust in the Lord and dwell there. Trust in the Lord who does not fail. Trust in the Lord who will not let you fall to the wayside. Trust in the Lord because the world, while God will not fail you, the world will fail you. The world will most definitely fail you. It reminds me of an old story I heard about a father who took his young son out and, and stood him on a railing on the back porch. He then went down and he stood on the lawn and he encouraged his little son to jump into his arms and he said, I'll catch you. You know, the father said very confidently and after a lot of coaxing, the little boy finally made the big leap toward his dad and when he did, the father stepped back and let the child fall to the ground. And then he picked him up and dusted him off and dried his tears and he said sternly, let this be a lesson to you. Don't ever trust anyone. That's a picture of the world. The world is going to promise you all these different things. Look, live for the world and you get this, that, and the other thing. And then when you make that leap, I'm going to let you just fall on the ground. Let that be a lesson to you. Don't trust the world. But we look up and we trust in a faithful God. And so we learn to trust when we look up. But then when we look up next, we also learn to delight. We learn where our delight should be. Verse four in the version that I read says, then you will take delight in the Lord and he will answer your prayers. And you're probably more familiar with versions that say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so what, these, what the verse says is when you take pleasure and find satisfaction in the Lord, your desires and prayers are so focused on him and what he wants, his desires become your desires. And when you are desiring in the Lord, that's where you find your delight. That's where you find your answered prayers. The wicked find delight in the world. They find delight in, in their power. They find delight in their prestige. They, they find uh, you know, delight in their position. I have a high position, look at me. But when you settle for the pleasures of the world, you're left empty. You are left wanting. You will not find delight. The world promises a whole lot but it will not fulfill. You'll be left wanting, but when you find delight in the Lord, you find, <coughs> excuse me, your fulfillment in Him. And C.S. Lewis described this years ago. He said, a car is made to run on petrol. That's, you know, the way the British talk about gasoline. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on Himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were desi designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. 
There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You cannot find delight anywhere else. If you want to find delight, you look up. But when we look up, there's another lesson we learn. Next, we learn to commit. We learn where we need to commit and who we can trust to commit. Verse, uh, verses five and six of the passage we read says, commit your future to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. He will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your cause. Now the word for commit there means to roll a stone, like rolling a stone away. And, and what it's talking about is you, re you really roll all of your life issues unto God. Give him your burdens. Turn it over to him. All of our needs, all of our distresses, all of our burdens, all behaviors, everything about our lives, we roll onto him. We commit to him without holding anything back. Because whatever we don't commit to the Lord is a burden that's laid on us and it weighs us down. If we continue to act like control freaks, we become more burdened and more burdened. We're losing out on peace and joy and, and, and victory because yes, from a human standpoint, the wicked seem to have it all. And we, that bothers us and well, I want it all too. But yeah, you don't understand the burden that they're having to carry to have what they think is all. And so sometimes we might question God, uh, but we have to remember the wicked, everything that the wicked have right now, that's all they're gonna have for their entire existence. That's it. We haven't even begun to step into the joys and delights and riches of eternity with Christ. I mean, we, do, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. We, we, we don't know because it can't even be explained barely in human terms. So why would we burden ourselves with the cares of the world when we can just commit everything to the Lord knowing what we know, looking ahead and being able to look up? You know, if we, if we decide to carry our burdens ourselves, it, it'd be like, if I was gonna run a race and I decided that I was gonna carry 10 50 pound weights with me while I'm running the race, but then somebody comes alongside me and says, why are you carrying weights when you're trying to run the race? Give me that burden, give me those weights. But then I think, well, you know, I'll give you some. Here's four of them and I'll keep six of them while I run the race. Well, that's silly. If someone's offering to take your burdens, take them. It's when we stop looking at the world and we start looking up and we see the greatness of God and seeing that he is trustworthy, seeing that, that we can delight in him, that we're willing to commit everything in our life to him, all of our burdens to him. So why weigh yourself down? We learn by looking up that we can get rid of those burdens. And then next, the next lesson by looking up is we find we can rest in him. We can just rest in him. David says in verse seven of our passage, just wait patiently for the Lord, wait confidently for him. Do not fret over the apparent success of a sinner, a man who carries out wicked schemes. God is calling us to a patient trust as he works things out in his time. I mean, I know we don't like God's timing usually, but we can't have that fast food mentality. Fix it now, Lord, fix it now. God is gonna work out things in his time. 
if we trust him. Yes, right now, in the here and now, it seems like the wicked are winning. It seems like they're going to take over, so to speak. But when we look up and we look ahead, we know who the winning side is. We know that in the grand scheme of things, the wicked are not going to win. Now, God is being patient. The Bible tells us God is being patient right now. He is waiting for them to repent. And he's asking us to wait with him. You just wait. But Lord, I'm sick and tired of this world. Why doesn't Jesus just come? And, and God is saying, wait and rest in me. Yeah, but the way, all this craziness, all this wickedness is just wait and trust in me, stop striving and just rest. You know, it says in Psalm 46.10, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted over the earth. I mean, yeah, we want God to do it all right now. I mean, Lord, don't you see what's going on in this earth down here? But God says we can rest in him. I mean, we can trust in him. We can delight in him. We commit everything to him so we can rest in him. And in the waiting, God works on us, but then God is also working out his plan. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a purpose. He's working those things out. We don't know the whole plan. We know kind of what the end result is, but we don't know the whole plan. We don't even know our own part in it most of the time. And so we just rest in him. Yes, sin has caused things to go way out of whack right now. But there's gonna be a day when God's justice is gonna fully prevail. So to prevent us from being a fair weather Christian, we look ahead and we look up. And then just for a couple minutes, very quickly, the, the third point, we look in. We have, to, we have to look at, we need to do some introspection. We need to see if our actions and our attitudes reflect what it is we claim to believe. I mean, yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying all these things and y'all are going, yeah, preacher, I believe in that. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually live like it. Yeah, I believe in all that. What you said about Christ, I believe in all that. What you said about being trusting in God and his word and all that. But is it reflected in your life? Look inside and see where you really are, are, are at. Especially with the world being as crazy as it is, as the wicked are prospering, what do you really think and how are you really living? You know, we, we, we have to ask ourselves if we're allowing what is happening in other people's lives around us or just in the world, if that's what determines our walk of obedience or disobedience with God. In the midst of perceived injustice, in the midst of the wicked prospering, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of trials, in the midst of troubles, we're only in control of one thing, and that is our own actions, attitudes, and words. I mean, we're not in control of anybody else. We're not in control of the world. But am I actually trusting in God? Am I resting in God? Am I finding my delight in God? Am I, am I looking ahead or am I looking up? 
Or am I instead looking around? We, we look in to see if we're allowing bitterness and anger and envy to rob us of joy and peace and hope and the victory that's ours in Christ. That's why, that's why David had to give this warning in verse eight. Do not be angry and frustrated. Do not fret. That only leads to trouble. Trouble for you, nobody else. It only leads to trouble for you. Our anger and our jealousy and our envy are not going to accomplish anything. James told us this in James 1.20. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So what do we do instead? David, again, verse three in our passage, trust in the Lord and do what is right. Or as Paul said in Romans 12.21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, with good. I mean, we all like to think that we are reacting to the ways of wickedness in a godly manner. I mean, we always like to think more highly of ourselves. But I mean, are, are we really? Or has the prosperity of the wicked in the world kind of enticed us? Hmm, I wanna live, I wanna live like that. I wanna live for them. Are, are we letting the supposed victory of the wicked to cause us to just kind of and it might not be a quick decision, hey, I'm walking away from the Lord, but it could be a slow drift. Hmm, I really like what they're able to do and what they're doing and what they're... So are we, are, are we allowing the supposed victory of the wicked to cause us to just give up and walk away? Are, are, are we causing it to bring about anger and jealousy and envy within us? So... Do we really understand the position we're in? Do we understand who we are in Christ? Do, do we understand what's gonna be the end of the wicked? Just because things are hard now doesn't mean we just jump ship. I mean, I could have jumped ship on the Packers decades ago. Things are, are rough now in the world. Well, because things are so rough, if anything, now is the time to seek the Lord more than we ever have before. Why, why hasn't the Lord brought revival to his church? Well, let me ask the church, have you been seeking him? I mean, you just kind of expect the Lord to bring revival. Oh, Lord, bring, bring revival, but I, I'm going to actually slowly drift toward the world. I might not even notice it, but I'm jumping ship. I'm going that way. We have to look to see where we are in our walk with Christ, in our faith with God. Is the, the prosperity of the wicked causing you to stumble? Or are you looking ahead? And are you looking up? It's time for you to look in, to, to see it. So I'll close with this thought. Um, several weeks ago, I mentioned a statistic that nine out of 10 pastors do not actually end up retiring as pastors. That means that 90% of pastors give up. 90% of pastors quit when things get rough. 
You know, I looked at another statistic about the effects of COVID. There are, there are some demographics where after COVID, 15% of, of that demographic gave up going to church. They just quit. You know, with the increase of wickedness in the world and, and just the appearance of things on this earth, yes, it might be tempting to quit. But now is not the time for lukewarm, fair weather, mamby-pamby Christianity. Now is not the time to be sitting uh, on the fence. Because as I, I don't remember where I heard it this week, we gotta be reminded, it's the devil who owns the fence. If you're sitting on it. So, you know, you're either in or you're out. And if you're in, don't let the seeming prosperity of, of the wicked move you. Look ahead to what, where their destiny is versus our destiny in Christ. Look up to an eternal God who is trustworthy no matter the circumstances. Look in to see if you're letting the ways of the world to influence you and, and to pull you away from the things of God. And so Christian, come to the altar and pray that God strengthens you to withstand this wicked generation. Pray for the generations that follow you, that God would strengthen them to stand up to this wicked generation. If you're not a Christian, you are part of the wicked generation. Your end is destruction. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way of escape for you. If you're looking for a fellowship with whom you can encourage and receive encouragement during these dark days, consider joining this church as we do battle together for the Lord's sake so that the name of Jesus Christ is made known to the ends of the world. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.